Lord, indeed, you are worthy of all praise and all devotion and all worship. I pray, Lord, that we always meditate on the truth, knowing that there is going to be a day in the future where you'll break the seals, although that is a judgment for the world that does not believe in you. We praise knowing that finally justice is going to be it's going to be able to finally come and make everything right. This world and everyone in it groans and longs for the day that you will return. Even the unbelievers can see that there is something wrong with this world. And I pray that they can come to saving faith by realizing by showing them from your word that salvation only comes from you. And Lord, as believers, we know that you will come one day and you will make all things right. May we continue to dwell on that hope in the midst of a suffering, times of suffering or times where things are not going well in this world, that we find our security in you and in you alone. Be with us this morning as we hear your word preached. May we be convicted and moved by it so that we can honor you with the life that you've given us. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. That is going to be a text for us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So turning your Bibles there, I'd like to just share some news articles that I read recently. On March 1st, 2023, in Pompano, Florida, a man named James Edward II was charged with defrauding people for up to $600,000 to support his drug habits. The authorities raided his home and they found uh, drugs all over the place. They found meth, they found heroin, and even a stolen firearm. And Smith was charged with organized scheme to defraud. He was charged with grand theft of a firearm, possession of a firearm, and violation of probation. Notice that none of the drugs, well, he was not charged for any of the drugs that he possessed. But he was charged for all of this because he defrauded people. A month later, in April 27, 2023, in Kenya, a man named Ezekiel Oduro was charged with committing mass murder. Uh, The police and authorities raided his property, and they found that there were hundreds of bodies that were buried in his backyard. And when they exhumed some of the bodies, they found that some of these bodies were of little children. And when police entered his home, they found there were people that were locked up in his own house. Odero, along with 22 other people, were arrested because they were his accomplice. And what, does the, what do these two stories have in common, besides the fact that they committed a very heinous crime, is that both of these people claim to be Christians. Not only that they claim to be Christians, but they claim to be Christian pastors. Sadly, the world has a growing distrust for pastors and elders in the church because these professing Christians commit grave sin. And one of the worst things that Christians can do, or one of the worst things that Christians lose their influence in the world is when a pastor fails. A city can be filled with hundreds, if not thousands, of faithful Christians They're trying to be a light in the world, who are trying to do good things, who are evangelizing the lost, who are ministering to those who do not know Christ. 
And all of that can be undone by one pastor's failing. A failed pastor can erase the testimony of many Christians. The Guardian wrote about one of these false, one of these teachers that were disqualified, and they asked a very profound question. They asked, why does this keep happening? Why does it seem like month after month there is a new revelation of a pastor that falls into great sin or scandal? I think the answer to that is that these pastors fail because they're not living for God. Rather, they're living for themselves. They get into the pastorate, and instead of trying to do all things for the glory of God, they seek to use the position to serve themselves, to feed their own gratification as opposed to glorifying God. Whether it be Carl Lentz, Mark Driscoll, Ravi Zacharias, and so forth, why does this keep happening? Because they seek to live a life that is contrary to the word of the living God. And when we see these stories, it should be a cautionary tale for us. It should be a cautionary tale not for us to look down on them and, and, and in our pride think little of them, but understand that we can fall into the same traps. We can fall into the same temptations and we can all fall into the same sins. We must take heed of our own lives lest we fall ourselves. The book of 1 Peter was written by Peter to the different churches, to believers that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Because of their faith and devotion to the Lord, people, the Roman Empire scattered the believer to, 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 with the intention to disorient them, to make them weaker because the numbers are smaller. And Peter is writing this letter so that, so that the letter could be passed around in hopes that other believers can be encouraged, so that they could remember that although they are scattered and they feel like they're away from home, that all believers in reality are aliens and sojourners in this world. Because of our faith, we don't belong in, on this planet, but rather our home is with our Lord in heaven. Throughout my preaching series these last several weeks, I tried to answer the question, why does SF need SFBC? And the answer is to win people to Christ. And it starts with the elders. The leaders in this church need to be faithful and live holy lives so that the congregation can follow and imitate their faith in the way that they imitate Christ. Pastors are going to be looked upon as a moral standard, and I think that is good, that is appropriate. And it's critical for all Christians to be a light in this world, but doubly so for those that are elders and leaders of this church. If the elders are not holy, then congregation will follow suit as well. Elders must model Christ. In fact, Paul encourages Timothy to imitate his faith in the way that he follows Christ. And that is our job as elders as well. We hope to emulate Jesus Christ, to imitate, the, imitate Christ, and hopes that those that we lead will, Im, will follow our faith in the way that we imitate Jesus Christ. And this is why it's important for us, us as elders to remember our responsibility here at SF Bible. And for the congregation to always be in prayer for your elders and to keep us accountable as well. This text, although seemingly aimed towards speaking to those that are believers, and more specifically the elders of the church, we understand that the principle here applies to everyone. A woman, although not an elder, is allowed to lead other women, but they're not allowed to lord it over others. A small group leader, leader 
may not be an elder of the church, but they still need to lead by example. A person who leads worship and singing, they may not be an elder, but they still can't do that ministry for any sort or selfish gain. The primary target, it is elders, but the principle applies to every Christian here. These are lessons that we need to learn on how to lead, and although it is, again, primary audience is the elders, it is the elders, but we need to exemplify Christ-likeness. But to exemplify Christ-likeness, because that is our responsibility as shepherds and elders of this church. In order for the church to be faithful soldiers here, the elders need to lead well, both in their doctrine and in their life. And for this sermon, I'm going to address three different audiences. Throughout the sermon, I'm going to address the elders and leaders in the room, in the sanctuary, or in this church. And then I'm going to address those that are aspiring elders. And I know there are some of you that want to be elders, and you want to know what does it take. And I hope that I can point to you, to God's word, so that you know that if you want to be elder, this is what is expected of you. And I also want to address the congregation as a whole and how you can help us as elders lead well. Again, the principle applies to all of us, but the elders need to lead by example. So for this morning, we're going to just look at four principles about elders. And first, we'll begin with the commission of the elder. The commission of the elders. Because all elders are supposed to be models for those in the church, which will exemplify Christ's likeness. And if we want to be a salt and light in this world, the elders and the leaders need to lead first. And the first thing they need to understand is the commission of the elder. Look at verse 1. It says, therefore. Now we know we study the Bible long enough that therefore is connected to something in the past. And in this case, it's connected back to chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, which is this part I did not teach on. But the principles that, we've, that are in, this, in that section is similar to what we learned before about suffering for Christ. That if you are suffering in this world, it should not be because you act like uh, you're, acting, you're living in sin. Right? Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler but rather we should be suffering in the name of Christ because we're of our obedience to the Lord, because of our devotion to him. If we suffer for that, that brings God glory. But if we suffer for some sin that we've committed, then we rightfully deserve it. And it's because of that, verse 19, therefore, chapter 4, verse 19, said, therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. If we're doing what is right and we're suffering for it, we're exemplifying Christ's likeness. Because early on in chapter 2, verse 23, Peter talks about how Jesus, although he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Although he suffered, he, offered, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to God the Father who judges righteously. And if we, as believers and as elders, when we understand that we suffer for the name of Christ, that is a good thing because we're representing him well. But if we suffer because of our sin, we're bringing... Uh, we're, we're, we're dragging down the name of Christ. Notice that's why he said, Therefore I exhort the elders among you. He's talking, Peter here is talking to the elders, and this word exhort here, it's the same word that the New Testament used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's someone that comes alongside. It's the helper. He's running alongside these elders, and, run, and in, in some ways, even to us as we read this text. He wants to go next to them and join them. He's encouraging them to, to be part of the same task. 
when I was in cross country in high school, we used to, we were encouraged by our coach to run in a pact, uh, to run together so that you guys, not only to create a wall so other people can't pass you, uh, but also so that when you're tired, when you're exhausted, you can encourage each other to keep going, to remind each other what you're working towards and why you train so hard. It's for this race, even how, many, how much the race have left. You're encouraging one another. And that's what this word is, is describing, that Peter's encouraging to come alongside him, to follow him, and, and, and to lead together. And you notice that he said that Peter describes as your fellow elder. The elder is not a new concept in the New Testament. It's not strictly even a Bible concept. I and mean, we understand even in a secular world that the elderly, people who have lived long enough, will have good counsel or advice or wisdom. They could give guidance. But in the biblical concept, we understand it's more than that. Yes, elderly people can give those things, but they derive their knowledge from the Word of God. In some ways, when Christians talk about elders, we're trying to redeem the concept to make it even better than how the world defines it because they find their resource in terms of their knowledge and their wisdom, not from their own opinion or their own experience, but rather from the Word of God. But Peter calls them his fellow elders, his fellow elders. This shows humility in his part. How? Because although Peter is an apostle, he describes himself that way in chapter 1, verse 1. He could have pulled the apostle card and forced the elders of the church to do what he has to say. But instead of pulling that elder card, he decides to, he kind of condescends a little bit, goes lower ranking in a way, and says, let's do this together. He sees his other elders as fellow co-laborers or fellow comrades in the cause of the gospel. Peter got humbled over the years, and in more precisely, he became more precise with his words. He used to be described as a man with a foot-shaped mouth. He would get in trouble for the things that he would say, but now he's writing and penning this letter as a way to encourage the believers to come alongside him, to join him, and this shows that he has a special regard and relationship with the elders that he's writing to. Notice he says, I exhort the elders among you. Elders are with the people. These are these local elders. They're physically present. It's very difficult for people to minister if they're not there. We, we know, you probably heard this term, that, that shepherds or faithful elders, they smell like sheep. They are with their congregation. And Peter also said that, said that among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. What does this mean as a witness of the sufferings of Christ? I think there are two ways to look at this. I think there's one, in one sense, Peter has been pastoring long enough. He's heard and seen other Christians that are suffering in the name of Christ because of their devotion to the Lord, because of their faithfulness. They're, they're going through they're, they're, they're being taken out from the society. They're being excommunicated by their own family. These Christians are suffering in the name of Christ, and Peter sees that. But I think more than that, I think Peter's also talking about the fact that he saw Jesus Christ suffered. He denied Christ. He saw Jesus beat and whipped. He saw all of those things, and yet he denied Christ. But he was restored. 
At the end of the gospel, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And even though the word that Peter used to describe love doesn't live up to the love that Jesus has said or asked, he was still restored. Even the most grievous sin can be forgiven, and God can still use this fallen apostle for his divine purposes. Notice that Peter at the end said, and a part in um, and a partaker also for, of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter is saying that all of us must look to, forward to that future, which is what he said earlier in chapter 1 about how God has reserved a place for us in heaven, that we have the eternal promise that's sealed for us, and it will be revealed to us on that day. Elders need to lead people in, during their hard times, first by focusing on the glories of God, and when they focus on the Lord, they encourage the entire church to follow suit as well. And for us as elders, here's a reminder for all of us that this is our commission. As we are amongst the people, we're always encouraging others of the hope that we have in Christ. That this is a real thing for all believers. And we have to believe this in order to encourage the body to find hope in Christ. The glories of heavens that awaits us must be real for us before we can point others to this future day. For some of you that aspire to be elders, you need to learn and study now more than ever about the, about the glories of heaven. Study the, the theologies about what heaven is like. It's not a place where there's fluffy, chubby babies and wings, and you know, the Bible speaks of a glorious place, a place without pain or suffering. You need to own this doctrine if you want to lead well in the future. Study on heaven and learn how to be captured by this heavenly home. And for the congregation, what you need most from your pastors is that reminder of the heavenly hope. Yes, we can be your friend. Yes, we can be your counselors. But what you need from us, and they should expect from us as, believers, as elders, is that we're pointing you to heaven. Is that we make you desire heaven more than the things of this world. When, we think, when you think about the sufferings of your health going bad, or when your job doesn't go the way that you like, you should expect us always to point you back to God's word. And hopefully that makes you see that this life is a very short life compared to the eternity that you have in Christ. In order for sojourners to be a light in the cities, the elder first must know that they're commissioned by God to shepherd the people by pointing them to Christ. If the elders don't do this, they will fail to encourage the body to live for the hope that they have in the Lord. Not only are the elders' commission is to go and tell people about Christ, but look at the second point, the responsibility of the elders, verses 2 and 3. The responsibility of the elders, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. This word shepherd is where we get the word for pastor. It's the job of the pastor to feed the flock with the word of God. That we watch over your spiritual life, that we nourish and we protect you spiritually. Paul, in, in, in Acts chapter 20, warns the Ephesian believers this exact same thing. He was faithful in shepherding them. He was there for several years. And before he left, he, this is what he told the Ephesian elders in the congregation. Verse 25 of chapter 20 and of the book of Acts. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. 
For I did not shrink away from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul, much like Peter, is encouraging the elders to shepherd the flock. For the elders, or even the elders that are aspiring, or people that are aspiring to be elders, or even even many any <clears throat> and every ministry leader, we understand that the people that we're ministering to are the flock of God. And what that means is that God is the one that owns the people in the church. It's very tempting for us to think that because this is our ministry, that the people that we oversee or the people that we lead belongs to us. And that's not true. The flock of God belongs to God himself. If you look at the tag on the ear of each and every single sheep, it will say, belongs to God. It is Jesus who ransomed and purchased the flock, not us. It is Jesus who sought and saved the flock, not us. It is Jesus who died for the sheep, not us. It is Jesus who the flock belongs to. And every faithful leader knows that the flock belongs to God. This was the exhortation from God to Peter and now Peter to us here. The elder's main job is to feed the flock and guard the sheep. You should expect all of us as elders to teach in some capacity whether that is on a Sunday school, whether that is on a pulpit on a Sunday, or counseling throughout the week, or whatever fellowship group, all elders are teaching you the Word of God in some capacity. And if we're not, we're failing to do the job that God has given us. A good shepherd labors faithfully to teach the sheep, and it takes work. Notice it says, among you. This is the second time this word has shown up, that when we are shepherding, we are among the people. It's easy to impress people from a distance, but you can't impact them unless you're up close. You can impress someone from a distance, but to truly impact someone, you need to be up close. And it is our job as elders and pastors and ministry leaders here to be in the lives of of the church, whether that is at your work, at the hospital, or in your home, or you come to our home, it requires life on life. The Christian life is life on life, and elders are supposed to be there with the sheep. Notice that Peter writes, exercising oversight. This is this idea of examining or to look after Elders are to, supposed to lead the family of God. Hebrews thirteen seven. I read this earlier about how the elders are, are watching over us. This is the idea of a watchman and the direction and the spiritual stability of a church. It is the elder's responsibility. And this is something that is ongoing. It's the job of the elder to guard the sheep, to give special attention to the spiritual condition of the congregation. Elders 
must lead with biblical convictions. Elders are constantly watching over the flock, assessing the situation, and knowing how we can best minister to the flock so they can grow in their love for the Lord. The elder wants to do this and, and because they love the Lord. Elders are constantly watching and examining the spiritual condition of, of the sheep. I don't know if you know, guys know this, but every year our elders meet once a year. I mean, we meet every month, but we have one day out of the year where we spend and plan the whole next year. That meeting is actually coming up for us next week. That's something you can pray for. We spend the whole afternoon just thinking about the church and discussing about the matters of the church, not just in terms of the ministry that goes on, but the spiritual condition. How can we be better shepherd in, in, in guiding the flock so that they can have a greater devotion to the Lord? But when we have oversight, notice this says, not under compulsion. Peter said that you have excess oversight, not under compulsion. This means that the elder have a passion for this. This is something that they love, not for the sake of the title, but rather they love serving in this way. They have a servant leader mindset. The elder wants to do this not because they're forced by anyone. They're not forced because of their talents. They're not forced because of their charisma. They're not forced in terms of their influence. But rather, they want to do this. They want to serve in this way. Being an elder is not for the faint of heart. And Peter understands when he's writing this that at that time it is very hard to be an elder because whenever persecution comes, the first people that the enemies of the church will go after is first and foremost is the leaders. The idea is that if you could take away the leader, then you can take away the people that influence the crowd. So Peter understands that there might be people that are reluctant in terms of wanting to be an elder. He's telling them that you should not be an elder because someone compelled you to be an elder. Rather, this is something that you want to do, that you're willing to lay down your life for the sheep, that you're willing to be the first line of defense. Passions, a true passion, drives elders to be faithful during hard times. And it's a great, and it's a great duty for us as elders to serve here in this way. But notice it said, but, but voluntarily according to the will of God. This is something a person chooses to do on their own. We should always be prayerful, not just for the current elders, but for future elders as well, that God will raise up individuals who have a desire to serve in this capacity. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the very first qualification of an elder is that they aspire to this. This word aspire is the word for lust, and, and that means that the lust itself is not in itself evil, but the object of what you lust after. If you lust after this position of serving that's a good thing to have. And I know that some of you here, the Lord will raise you up to become an elder one day. He'll place in your heart the desire to care for the church. You love the people that you, that's around you. You want people to grow in Christ's likeness. And you can't think of anything else you would rather do than to encourage the body of Christ. My prayer and hope is that God will raise up more and more godly men to serve in this way. And it could begin even when you are a little high schooler. That the Lord could even implant in your own heart that one day this is what the Lord wants you to do. You know an elder is a true elder because they are doing things in accordance to God's word. The way that we want to lead is only because we're driven by God's word. The world, will, and even some churches, will only choose elders based on their influence in society or their ability to lead but true elders seek to lead 
not because of worldly qualifications, but only qualifications that's found in scriptures. They don't change, they don't lead because they were trying to get something out of it. Which is why Peter writes, and not for sordid gain. Faithful and humble leaders, they're not in pastoral ministry because they could somehow gain some sort of platform or influence or wealth. They're not doing the work of the ministry for those things. Rather, they have a genuine pure motive to be a humble servant, to care for the flock of God. In a lot of ways, what I'm saying is that every, cares, every prosperity preacher is disqualified from pastoral ministry because their focus is on trying to gain and get things from the people. Now, does this mean that pastors should not get paid? Uh, no, that's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's not what it means. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of the wages. It is good for the church to pay and hire pastors to do the work of the ministry. It frees up the pastor from worrying about his day job as well as ministering to the flock. It gives them opportunity to spend more time studying and meeting with people and teaching God's word on a regular basis. That's a blessing from the Lord. I know that not every church gets that, and some churches do, some churches do not. But it is indeed a privilege to be able to support our pastors. And I do want to say that our elders, they really do take care of the staff here. Our lay elders are, are diligent in terms of thinking about and considering the, the pastoral staff. Uh, they, they know our needs and they meet those needs. In a lot of ways, the, the pastoral staff were, were paid to do good, or the lay elders are good for nothing. That's a joke. <laughs> but notice... That it says here, but with eagerness. This is what they want to do. They're enthusiastic about it. This is something that they want. They care about the the body of Christ and they want to serve in this way. Look at verse 3. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. An elder is a servant, not a tyrant. An elder is not domineering. Elders don't force people to do things, to bend people to the will of their own desires. Peter forbids elders to act in this way. And I know there, the fact that Peter is writing this tells us that there, it is a temptation for all elders and ministry leaders to think in that way, to see that people are actually moved by your teaching and think to yourself, I can tell them what to do. But the reality is that they do not belong to us. We're just serving in this way. Matthew chapter 20 as well as Mark chapter 10, Jesus speaks against those kind of worldly Gentile rulers. He's saying that these rules, yeah, they're going to be domineered. They are going to be lording it over. But the true leader is someone that's willing to serve. That's why in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, it says that Jesus came into the world not to serve, but to, uh, not to be served, but to serve, giving his life a ransom for many. How God sees a faithful leader is not someone that lords it over, but rather is serving in this way. Again, it's tempting for all elders and ministry leaders to think and be tempted that way. Notice that it's not just elders, by the way. In any position, whether you're a father or a husband, or any ministry leader, any position where we have people under us, it can be very tempting to lord it over them. 
in every, in every abuse case that you see in this church or other churches, is always when one individual decides to go outside the bounds of Scripture. They go beyond God's Word. They start giving commands where the Scriptures are silent. When they start manipulating things to control the people. When they try to lead with a heavy hand. And it's true that there is no elder board that is perfect, but every elder needs to... Uh, have this self-control and not lording their position over others. You must, ex- you must expect us to give you God's word. And much like everything else that we learn from Scripture, that if there's any elder, if they try to tell you something that goes against Scripture, you have every right to ignore it because we're leading you away from the Lord if an elder does that. But you understand Scripture gives us leaders and hopefully these leaders will lead well in pointing you to God and to his word. In the book of Ezekiel, verse 34, in the Old Testament, there were these leaders that were supposed to lead the Israel well, but instead, in Ezekiel 34, verse 46, Ezekiel writes, rather God says, Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scatter you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the loss, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. See, there is a danger in, in leadership positions and a temptation for those in leadership positions to abuse their authority. In Third John chapter 9, John writes, I wrote something to the church by Diotrephes, who love to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. And a leader, and any ministry leader or elder, they must never see their position as a place to control other people. People can have godly titles but live ungodly lives. And all elders and ministry leaders, although we may have this temptation, we must flee from it. We must repent of it. Notice that is that we're not supposed to lord over those that are allotted to our charge. This means that the people that are under us, it is divine appointment. The Lord has provided the church and people in the church, and we need to be good stewards of the people that we oversee. And I know that there's an opposite temptation as well. Sometimes people will only listen to certain elders, like you claim to be a submissive student of God's word, but you only listen to this kind of elder because they're generally more gracious, or I only listen to this type of sermon because of how dynamic they are, or I like this other pastor more because they're funny. That's like the reverse. You're trying to find someone that you listen to because they, in some ways, tickle your ears. But this type of believer... Uh, they, they forget that they're actually owned by God and not that elder or leader. And we as elders, we get to serve this church. It is a privilege for all of us to be able to lead here at SF Bible. It's a privilege and an awesome responsibility and it's a joy to, be able to lead this congregation. And we always remember that the people of God ultimately is God's flock. And, and Peter says at the end of verse 3, but proving to be examples to the flock. There's a lot of grace in this word here, proving, because this word proving is, is, is this becoming idea. It's that you're, 
you're going, you're growing in Christ's likeness, and that you haven't arrived. And that's great for us as elders, because that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect in order to be an elder. But there should be an expectation that you're at least ahead of the flock. Humble elders lead by their examples in every sense of the word, in the way they spend their money, in the way they con- conduct themselves, in the way that they speak, in the way that they care for their family in the way that they work, in ministry, in theology, and everything that goes on in life. They're, they are an example of that. Again, as elders, we may not always live up to, the, to what, even what we teach or preach, but we're always humbled by it, realizing that we need God's reliance in order to live up to his word. Elders, we must always be faithful in the way that we live. Always be an example. We, all, we need to always be mindful in the way that we conduct themselves, both inside and outside of the church. The flock will always model after us, whether we like it or not. In the way that we live, in the way that we think, people that are in our sphere of influence, they will model our lives as well. For those of you that aspire to be an elder, understand that being an elder is not something that it doesn't just happen to you. It's not just like one day I am not an elder and the next day I am. One day I have none of the qualities of an elder and the next day I am. Now, this is something that you have to build up throughout your entire life. I heard in seminary that stop trying to be a pastor and just be a pastor. And I think that's right for those that aspire to be an elder. You want to just think of yourself and, and just think of the weight of responsibility and the way that you live and conduct your life. And for the congregation, Pray for your elders and pray for the, those future elders as well that they will live faithfully in every area of their life, that they, are, they model humility and they model Christ-likeness. And it's in that way you follow these heavy leaders, not because for the sake of the leader, but because you see how they imitate Christ and you want to imitate their desire to look like Jesus Christ. Not only are there commissions of the elder or the requirements of the elders, next we're going to look at the rewards for the elders. The rewards for the elders. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This idea of a chief shepherd, in a lot of ways, in every church, the only chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. All pastors are motivated to, by Christ to lead well. It's not always going to be easy, but we must always remember that serving Christ in any capacity, it is a privilege. Because God will reward the labors of the elders. And as an elder here, it's always a good reminder that we serve God. That there are all of us that are doing ministry, and, and we may not get the thank yous. People may not see what we're going to do or what we have done for the church. And that's completely fine, because God is watching. God sees it, and he will reward us for it. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, or, or 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 10. We know that God sees our labors, and he will give us a reward for it. This is why Peter writes, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's where you will receive. It's a definite. It will happen. There's no false promises here. This is a motivation to keep pressing on and know that even though no one sees, God sees. And that should be motivation for all of us as ministry leaders. There might be moments where disappointments come up. People fail you. And you put all the time and effort into planning something. And things just might not go the way that you like. But it is completely fine because you're working mainly for the audience of one. And that is God alone. 
Crowns back then would usually be given to generals or athletes when they, well, for generals when they win a war and for athletes when they win the Olympics or whatever athletic uh, competition they're in. But they'll give them these crowns that are just basically just leaves. Uh, they're just, you know, they just plucked out from some plants they made into a little crown. They give it to them. They'll last maybe two or three days at best. But the crown that Peter here is talking about is this unfading crowd, uh, crown. This is something that was with perfect elements. It won't fade away. It can't be stolen or be rust or be destroyed by rust or any anything or any elements. It's an eternal reward given to servants of God to remind us of God's faithfulness in our life. Elders, although we may not know, or although many may not know what we do for the church, it's perfectly fine because God sees it. We serve the church. Yes, at times it can be difficult, but our main audience is always the Lord. We may never uh, be, we may, we may be serving a people that may not fully understand the weight or the love that we have for them, but God knows, and that's all that matters. The church was never meant to give us that reward or that satisfaction or praise. That's not what the church was meant for. Rather, the church is a place where we get to worship God and serve the Lord. Those of you that aspire to be elders, you need to get over the fact that you're doing this for the, for, for the pleasing of other men. Get over the fear of man. You won't last long in ministry if all you care about is the praises of other people. You'll be, if you're motivated by that, then you won't, you won't be thinking objectively about how to lead the church. You'll always be throwing uh, from one place to another because of someone's opinion, instead of being driven by the word of God. For congregation, continue praying for your elders. Know that they are doing a lot of things that you don't see, and that's okay, that you trust, not in the elders per se, but you trust in the Lord. Not only there's commission of the elders, the responsibility of the elders, or the roar for the elders, and lastly, the humility of the church. There should be humility in the whole church. You know that the humility is a key to all of this. There's only a humble pastor that can shepherd the flock, that can exercise oversight out of joy and not out of compulsion. It's not a humble elder is one who does it without any sword gain or even have any desire to lord it over others. And this is why Peter says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourself with humility with one another. He's not, yes, he's speaking to a smaller, uh, younger group, but he's also expanding and saying all believers. This is younger men. is speaking of age and also spiritual maturity. And why is he speaking to them? Because young people tend to not to listen. Young people don't want to be subjected to anyone older than them. They think they know a lot. I mean, there is some perks of being young. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, it describes that, and even Proverbs talks about how young people have strength. They have the energy to do a lot of things. That is a blessing. That is a good thing to have in this church. But the temptation for the young believer is that they don't want to listen to those above them. Just like elders need humility to lead, young believers need humility to learn and to submit. This word subjection has showed up multiple times throughout the book of 1 Peter, whether it be to the government or for masters or for wives to husbands or even husbands to, to wives in terms of their desires. There's all humility, it points people to Christ. Submissiveness also points people to Christ because that's what Christ has done. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. And submission doesn't mean silence. It doesn't mean you unnecessarily agree with everything that the elders have to say. But what it does mean is that when you see the elders make a decision, 
that you trust that God is using these elders to serve that is ultimately going to be for our good and for the glory of God. Only a humble believer will submit to the authority that is above them. Biblical submission is not submission only to things that you want. Because that is a temptation. That I'm willing to submit to all my elders, except when they disagree with me. And that's not true submission. This is why Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Everyone needs to put on the, the best outfit. And that best outfit is called humility. Everyone must, everyone must clothe themselves with humility. This word of, of, of putting on is, is actually the word for what slaves would do when they gird up their clothes to work. And you and I must put on this apron, the same apron that slaves put on. So are you willing to submit to ultimately the word of God? To be a humble uh, person, a person who puts on humble clothing, uh, they, it points them to the humility of Christ. That's why Matthew chapter 5 said, Blessed are those who are meek. But so those who are humble is speaking of all of us. All of us need to put on humility. To be humble is to look like Christ. But notice, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter is saying that God is against those who are self-dependent, self-reliant. But rather he gives grace to those who are constantly in reliance and dependent of the Lord. God hates pride in you and God hates pride in me. Pride seeks to lift ourselves higher at best, to equal to God, but really what we really want is to dominate and be over God. We may hate many things, but God hates pride more. God opposes the proud. God hates it when people try to elevate and puff themselves up, but yet God gives grace to those who are humble. In order to be a faithful Christian, we need to humble ourselves to be completely independent of God. You came to Christ with humility, so live in humility as well. God's grace is giving you what you don't deserve, primarily that you have eternal life. How do I know if I'm proud? Well, maybe here's some questions for you to think about. One, am I a learner? See, generally proud people, they learn a certain amount of things and they kind of stay that way. They're stagnant in their faith. They think because of the time they've been at church or the education that they've had, that that's enough. They've learned enough instead of constantly learning more about the Word of God. You should always be striving to dive deeply into God's Word, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been in the faith. Because only a proud person will think to himself, well, I've already read this. I've, already, I've gone through this. I know this. True, there's no true mastery over the Word of God because of how vast it is. And to say that you have mastery over God's word and that you don't need to learn anymore shows pride in your own life. Am I, maybe another question you ask yourself is, am I critical? Because when you think about someone that's critical, they assume something that they actually know what the best thing is. A prideful person in the church is a very critical person. They're one that's always critical of the little small things in the church and think that they have the solution for everything. Really, what's going on in their hearts is they're just grumbling and complaining. Another question to maybe ask yourself is, am I a joyful Christian? Joy is one of the fruit of the spirits. And a person who's proud cannot be joyful because they're, they've set their hearts and mind on things like success. And when things don't go their way, they get upset. A joyful person understands that everything that they have 
is in Christ. Their identity is not found in the success of ministry or even the things that goes on in the church. Rather, they find their joy in Christ alone. A prideful person is not a joyful person. If we want to be sojourners and alien in this world, as elders, we need to remember that we are commissioned by God to lead the church and that when we lead the flock of God, we're motivated by pure motives. And we're not doing this, not by lording it over, but to humbly serve the flock of God. And for those of you that aspire to be elders, this is what is expected of you. When you look at this passage here, understand that this is not something that takes, that's not going to happen overnight. But you need to constantly humble yourselves under the word of God so you can be the man that God wants you to be. And for you, the congregation, continue to pray for us as elders and the future elders that's going to come. Because we need it. We need you to keep us accountable and to, and to encourage us to be more and more like Christ so that you can follow and imitate the faith of the elders here. And I know that if the elders are faithful and they become the light in the world, then the congregation will follow as well. And in doing so, we could win other people in the city for the gospel of Jesus, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, thank you for all the faithful servant leaders in our church. I'm thankful for the elders that you raised up. I'm thankful for all the servant leaders here that are doing so many different things that could go unnoticed by the rest of the congregation. But Lord, you're so kind and that you, that you know everything that we're going through. You know that uh, the efforts and uh, all the time that's put in. Lord, you see those things and you will reward all of us in a very unique way. And I pray that we're motivated not by the praises of men or our peers, but we're motivated by the love for you, Lord. Help us be faithful in this way. And Lord, cause us all to be humble and, and be constantly independent of you and to live lives of, of moral excellence so that we can be a salt and light in the city to win people to you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity for us to hear your word preached. In your son's name I pray. Amen.